Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Bridgerton. The Duke and I was written by Julia Quinn and came out in the year 2000. And Bridgerton season one uh, was showrun by Chris Van Dusen and came out in 2020. Yes. And so the book title is The Duke and I. Mm-hmm. And the show is called Bridgerton. But we are doing the first season of Bridgerton. We're here for the romance. <laughs> We're here for the historical dramas. Yes. The marriage market has begun. I love how they uh, always describe it as a season. Yes. In a very kind of tongue-in-cheek way. Yes. They're like, oh, the season has the been season, so great. The Netflix season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, so this is our first hard romance our 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 triple x romance <laughs> uh, nc17 yes our first bodice ripper yes as you described it to me i've never heard that term before yeah it's a traditional romance book like the version i checked out from the library is in the mass market paperback which if you don't know what that is it's like the really short fat squat paperback version of the book which i really don't like reading it yeah. was really hard to hold open with my hands cuz i like to hold the book open and then take notes with my other hand. Yeah, that's not a one-handed book. No, I mean, I was doing it, but then my hand started to hurt. It's so funny because when I see those books, especially not just that format, but like romance novels, I just think of like supermarket books. Yes, and they are supermarket books. Yeah, that very small section of the grocery store where they have Mm -hmm. books and like 80% of them are romance. Romance. Yeah, yeah, and so this is actually my first kind of traditional romance reading. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've read a lot of other romance books, but I mostly read contemporary romance. Yeah. And the the romance that we've done um, on the show have not been of this kind either. No. And so this show was very popular. And I'm I'm surprised and not surprised that it's taken someone this long to adapt. I know. A traditional romance story like this. Yeah. I think a part of it must be the production because like the different outfits and stuff and yeah. like the settings and like I think that's a very high budget thing production wise. And if it's not going to be like an Oscar bait film then they're like why would we make it? Basically yeah. <laughs> uh, but this kind of fits into like a niche realm of like cheesy sexy romance that's mm-hmm. like approachable but like Victorian or I'm sorry it's not Victorian era it is Regency, Regency era mm-hmm. costumes uh, so, but it's like very unique in that regard and was very, very popular for Netflix, I think. Definitely. And these books were also massively popular. Yeah. The author has written so many of them. She wrote one for all of the Bridgerton siblings and then she wrote follow-up books. There's like a prequel series that she really? wrote. There's like a whole collection of like kind of short stories about each character that she wrote afterwards. <laughs> um, she actually publish them in our books as like second epilogues. Oh, I see. Okay. So they were originally part of like kind of a a collection where each character gets like a little short story epilogue. That makes sense then. Because like when I got to this or, you know, when we talked about there being a second epilogue in the book, I was like, that's weird. Yeah. Right. And it's it's because the series was so popular and everyone was like, tell us more about what happens with these characters. So it's kind of her uh, checking in with them again. We're not going to discuss the second epilogue in this episode just because it's like 
not really relevant to the story and the show doesn't talk about it. So also, I didn't read it because <laughs> you told me not to read it. Well, also, it's like 30 or 40 pages long. Like, yeah. it's not short. Well, I was actually really happy when you told me about because I, I knew the book was like 430 pages. And then you're like, oh, those last 30 pages are a second epilogue that you probably shouldn't even read. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're always down to the wire with reading the books and finishing, especially with a show like it just takes up a lot of time. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So let's get into the plot line and the characters and the setting of uh, this this book and this series. Yeah, it's 1813. Uh, we are in London. This is the Regency period, which is just roughly means that King George III is uh, mentally insane, like legally insane. So his son is ruling as regent in his stead. And Historically, not in the show, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the beginning of the London season, and they call the social group that they all are part of the Ton. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find an explanation for that? It's like a French, apparently it's from some other, like, it's like a shortened version of like a French phrase that meant like beautiful people or something dumb. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in, in the book and a little bit in the show, they kept referring to the ton. Yeah. And like you knew what it meant, but also like why are they using this word? Yes. And we are introduced to the Bridgerton family, which consists of a mother and her eight children. The father has died previously to the, the books and the show's events. And they have eight children. And what makes this family unique is that the Bridgertons are named alphabetically. Yes. Uh, the first oldest son being named Antony, then Benedict, then Colin, then Daphne, then Eloise, then... Everybody forgets this one. Francesca? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're not done. George? No. No. Gregory? Yes. And then... Uh, hyacinth yes oh my god I, i'm giving you like Thank an air you. high five yes. right now <laughs> I, that was amazing i weirdly so i'm pretty bad with names usually in shows and stuff i weirdly was able to remember a lot of names from this series yeah i don't know why probably the alliteration i mean it's great or not the alliteration i guess the alphabet well and not even just the children though of like side characters too though like yeah. all the characters i was usually able to because there's so many in this show oh my god yeah the naming convention though for the children was very smart on the author's part Definitely. To like just easily clue you in as to like which son is this and where does he fall or mm -hmm. which daughter like in the age category. Yeah, it, it was convenient and also funny. Yeah. And we're also introduced to another character, Lady Whistledown. Yes, who has a... Uh, what a, a gossip column gossip column or scandal sheet. Yeah. Which is just kind of this like pamphlet that is... Uh, printed every few days mm -hmm. just informing everyone of everyone's dirty laundry <laughs> everyone's shit everyone's society gossip yeah naming people uh you know which i guess was rare for those at the time but mm -hmm. actually like using people's real names and, yeah and everyone's like addicted to it yeah and she her identity is unknown people don't know who she is mm -hmm. um which makes it even spicier yeah they're like how does she know it's like this great mystery throughout <laughs> the series and it's not so much in the book like yeah. it's the same but it's not like this mystery that mm -hmm. is enduring and on a practical point in both the book and the show it offers a really great 
um, background narration, yeah, constantly updating you about what's going on or the characters and kind of setting the stage for certain scenes and certain chapters in the book. Yeah, about like what people do know or what they don't know mm-hmm. or like kind of in the show more specifically not manipulating her, but using her to their advantage if they want to spread yes. gossip about someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of the social media of the time, <laughs> right? Lady Whistledown. Lady Whistledown. <laughs> and Daphne, the fourth of the children. Yes. But the oldest daughter is being presented in this season It's a little bit different in the books. In the books, she's already been out for two years. Yeah. And this is, I guess, her third season or maybe her second. I can't quite remember. Yeah, I can't remember if it's her second or if it's not her first. Yeah. Is is the main point. Uh, So she's been out for a little bit. And in the book, she's described as being pretty, but like not spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Men like her, but more as kind of like to pal around with. They don't Mm -hmm. really see her as a romantic prospect. Yeah. And it's kind of implied because she has three older brothers that she's kind of like very comfortable around guys. And she might even know a lot of these men through her brothers. Yeah. So they may view her as strictly like a little sister and not really as a romantic prospect. Yeah. In the book, she is constantly reminding everyone (laughs) that she has three older brothers. Constantly. All the time. Yeah, that's her personality. It's her defining characteristic (laughs) is that she has three older brothers. (laughs) Someone tells her any piece of news and she's like, well, you know I have uh, four brothers in total, right? Yeah. And three of them are older. (laughs) In in case you were wondering. Okay, Daphne. (laughs) (laughs) My letter begins with a D and that's because I have three older siblings. Yes. Who are brothers. Who happen to be brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Um. In the show, though, this is Daphne's, like, first season coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a whole scene of them being presented to or in front of the queen. Yes. And this is kind of a very funny scene with some girls, like, just failing spectacularly. (laughs) Um, But Daphne is really holds her own. She's very pretty, very elegant. Poised. Yes. And the queen really notices her and says she's flawless. Yes. And so this kind of, like, really highlights Daphne to the public as being, like, a very desired girl. Yes. Maybe the most desired match of the season. Yes. The of season. the season. <laughs> We're going to keep saying that and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so fancy when I say that. Uh, So something worth mentioning up front about the show, and it was something that was very di- high, highly discussed uh, when it premiered, is the diverse casting. Yeah. Of the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, many different act, many different prominent roles and like side characters and background characters are played by people of color. Yeah. And it's interesting because I just assumed it was like, this is how it is. And we're not even going to like get into Talk it. about it. Yeah. But there is actually a brief scene where Lady Danbury explains how King George marrying because the queen is uh, a woman of color that him marrying her ended racism? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Suddenly everyone just like... Does for, not care. Gave no shits. Yeah. I mean, there is in the show some mentions of like, we have to be better than everyone else. We have to prove ourselves yeah. worthy of these titles. So there is a little bit of that pressure. But it is a largely like safe and colorblind world, yeah. I would say. Um, it's interesting because I, I do like it. Yeah, me too. 
But I do think some people, you know, criticizing how they're not dealing with race at all as a factor, it is valid. In my mind, I feel like this show is a fantasy, right? I Yes, I completely agree. Because, like, I know they try to be kind of historically accurate, but it's, like, not, right? No, I mean, like, from the sets are, like, so gorgeous and polished and the mm-hmm. outfits are, like, they're they're somewhat historically accurate, but, like, they really pushed the boundaries in terms of, like, fabrics and patterns to make it more contemporary. So it almost feels, like, out of time. Yeah, and, like, especially, too, with, like, the music. Yes. How, like, they cover, like, popular songs, like, from Ariana Grande and Billie Eilish and, like, Taylor Swift and, like, put them to, like, an orchestral cover and then are playing them at balls and stuff. I do feel like the show is telling you that this is, like, an alternate version of reality. Absolutely. So I'm kind of okay with it because, like, even if they would have made this show with all white people, it's still a fantasy. So if we're making it up anyway, we might as well have people that aren't white in it, too. Yeah, because, I mean, even Jane Austen. Yeah. Like you know, disregarding how historically accurate it is or isn't, still feels when you rewatch it like fantasy also. Well, and it's such a narrow point of view, right? Because she doesn't care about the lower classes. She's only talking about a very specific part of the population, which for most of us, it is a fantasy, right? We could never live this way. Yeah, like they don't work or do anything. (laughs) And it's like, what world is this? Exactly. But the stories that exist within that world are interesting and same with, and Bridgerton, I think, pushes that farther. Yeah. It's even more heightened, more sexy, more like edgy. And and so in that way, it just feels like totally uh, disconnected from reality. So in that way, I think it being like, Let's just cast a lot of diverse people in this show. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, they want to see diversity in casting that's just there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without it having to be, like, grappling with, like, heavy topics of Mm -hmm. of race and identity. And it's like, I just want to see a black person in, like, fancy Regency-era clothing and women swooning over him. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is totally valid. It is. It is totally valid. Yeah. So it works for me. And I totally get the criticism that comes from it a little bit. But I think for myself personally, I enjoyed it. Same. For sure. Let's talk about uh, the oldest brother, Antony. Ugh. Antony the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Alliterate that. Yeah. (laughs) He's... Pretty insufferable. Especially at the beginning. He gets much better as the show goes on. In the book, he's, like, totally fine throughout. Yeah, it's funny, because in the book, like, all three brothers, Antony, Benedict, and Colin, are just kind of, like, lumped together. Yeah. Antony does stand out as being, like, the leader of them. Mm-hmm. But as they kind of also work as, like, a unit. Yes. In terms of being kind of intimidating. Or Protecting their protective. sister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do, you know, even though he's super annoying, I do think his position in the story is interesting. And I do like the show exploring it because uh, his father is gone. And so he is now like the rightful head of the house. Yeah. And so Daphne's coming out and, you know, courting men, talking to suitors falls within his responsibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For kind of like trying to guide that and figure it out. Yeah. And so... He is overcompensating by 
being way too judgmental and critical of everyone. Yeah, there's like the scene at the ball where he tells her not to dance with anyone. And then when the suitors call the next day, he like scares everybody away and is just being really aggressive. And in fact, Daphne's reputation is sinking. Nobody wants to come and approach her. And the only guy who wants to date her is uh, just a terrible man, uh, Lord Burbrook. Lord, yeah, Lord Burbrook. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, I do love, there is a really good kind of confrontation between uh, Violet, the mother of the Bridgerton family, and Antony, because she's his mom and obviously has experience and knows what she's talking about. And, but Antony kind of has final say. Mm -hmm. And I really love this dynamic in terms of like conflict. Yeah. Because it's a weird situation Mm -hmm. for them to both be kind of like fighting over Daphne's future. Yeah. And Violet tells him like, you have to stop being her protective brother. Yeah. And start being like the head of the household, kind of calling him out. Mm -hmm. And this, I think kind of, Gets him to realize, like, I do need to make sure she finds a suitable match. Unfortunately, I've scared everyone off at this point, except for Lord Burbrook. And he seems fine. I'm going to arrange for them to get married. Yeah. And Daphne's like, what is wrong with you? Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) No. (laughs) Fuck no. Yeah. But this is like something they are clashing over um, in the first episode specifically. Yes. Let us introduce... The Duke of Hastings. The Duke. The Duke himself. Of the Duke and I. (laughs) So his background. Should be the Duke and D. The Duke and D. (laughs) There's no I in this story. (laughs) They they got to H and then it ended. There's no I in Daphne, right? (laughs) There's no I in the Bridgerton family. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Except Except in the Bridgerton name. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Uh, So the Duke's background is actually the prologue of the book and actually flashbacks to his upbringing are kind of peppered throughout the second episode of the show. So he was born to uh, Duke Hastings and Mm -hmm. his wife who his, the, the Duchess had attempted multiple times to have children. Yeah. Uh, doctors told her not to try anymore. She'd mm-hmm. had so many miscarriages and and issues with pregnancy. But the Duke, who really needed a son. And is putting a lot of pressure on her. Yeah. Forced her to have another child, basically. Yeah. And so she gives birth to Simon, um, but then dies shortly afterward, which is really sad. And the father just doesn't care about anything other than his title, his land. He, like, lets somebody else raise his son and then kind of just comes to check on him later. So, like, Simon is not getting any love or support from his father. And when his father comes to visit him when he's about four years old, um, he's really angry because Simon is not speaking. Yeah. And then when he does speak, the Duke finds out that he has a stutter yeah. and has trouble getting his words out. Mm-hmm. And of course, because of the time and the very narrow beliefs, he's like, oh, he's an idiot. Yeah. And he'll never be able to take on the dukedom. Mm-hmm. And it'll, you know, this is all just a nightmare. Yeah. He basically disowns his own son. He tells everybody that his son is dead. Yeah. And <laughs> and then goes and fucks off to London. Yeah. Forever. Mm-hmm. Poor Simon is determined to prove himself. And he and his nurse and in the show, Lady Danbury, 
help him overcome his stutter through yeah. a lot of hard work and determination and study and practice. Um, and Simon, when he's a little bit older, goes to his father to try to show himself and to prove to him. And he's been writing letters to his father. Mm-hmm. Um, but his father hasn't been reading them. And the boy is able to speak to his father, but then has like one stuttering incident. Because his father is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the father is still like, oh, I fucking hate you. Get out of my sight. Yep. And that was that. And yeah. he basically never saw his dad after that. Yeah. Um, I actually, the book actually gives more, it dives further into the character as mm-hmm. he like grew up and kind of like became a man. And I actually found this part really compelling in the book and interesting to see how his history with his father and with his speech impediment shaped him as a person. Yeah. Because, like, the Duke, when you're introduced to him and when you see him in the show, which the show doesn't really get into this aspect, but he's, like, he comes across as being, like, standoffish. Arrogant. Arrogant, kind of, people keep calling him a rake. Mm-hmm. Um, And you kind of find out through the book that, you know, he never spoke unless like absolutely necessary because he had this stutter as a child yeah and he still occasionally struggles with it as an adult Mm -hmm. and so he kind of is just like i'm not gonna talk unless i really need to yeah and he chooses his words carefully and that's not that's pretty rare for the time yeah so (laughs) he came across as being like standoffish and kind of unlikable and Mm -hmm. and People, and that also fed into people's beliefs as to, like, what a duke is. Yeah. Like, oh, he's he's very arrogant and, mm-hmm. like, very full of himself. Proud. And, yeah. And, like, even though that wasn't the case, he also kind of just, like. Went, embraced that. Embraced it and went with it and, like, tried not to, like, care about it. Mm-hmm. And I found this, like, origin to him, like, very interesting. Definitely. And in the show, we do get a scene with the father and him on his father's deathbed mm-hmm. where the father wants to accept Simon finally. And Simon's like, no, uh, I refuse your acceptance. And, in fact, I have decided to never have a child just to spite you. And then the dad dies. He's <laughs> like, oh. That's it for me. <laughs> yep. He, he talked his dad to death. Yes. With with threats and killed his own father, basically. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> heavy. And of course, Daphne and Simon come together at a fateful ball. It happens a little bit differently mm-hmm. in the book and the show. In the book, Daphne just is like leaving the ball for some air and Nigel Burbrook, who in the book is just kind of like dumb. He's a well-meaning but dumb dude who she just really, he's like her only suitor or yeah. quarter, and she just doesn't want to deal with him. Yeah. But he follows her into the hallway to profess his love to her. He's drunk. He's drunk. Simon, who was kind of sneaking into the house mm-hmm. to kind of go to the ball, is overhearing this confrontation. Yeah. And Daphne, in an effort to get rid of this dude, decks him in the face and, like, knocks him unconscious. (laughs) And the Duke kind of reveals himself, and then they are in the hallway trying to figure out what to do with the, not the corpse, the the body (laughs) of Burbrook. The body. (laughs) The drunk idiot that's still sleeping it off on the floor. This is a really long scene. This scene in the book was maddeningly long. Like, I 
honestly felt like I was going to lose my mind. Yeah, because, like, first Simon is, like, into her and is like, ooh, she's sexy. Like, I'm going to smolder at her. Then he finds out that she's Antony's sister, and he and Antony went to college together. So he's like, oh, it's Antony's sister. I can't do anything. Uh, I, I didn't want to anyway. Whatever. And then he's, like, still kind of, like, turning the smolder on her. And then she kind of, like, laughs at him and is like, you think I buy that? I have three older brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Pulling the three older brother card. Yes. And then she explains how, like, my mom says that, like, you're a bad man. And, like, Lady Whistledown says. And he's like, who's Lady Whistledown? And then we have that explanation. Meanwhile, I'm like, they're in a hallway, right? Like, how is no one else happening to walk through this hallway? Well, and they keep being like, we should, you know, I'll get my carriage to send Lord Burbrook home, but we have to put him in the library first and you wait here and then I'll go there, but they never do it. No, because then he's like, oh, well, now Nigel's awake. Yeah. So uh, change of plan. And then Simon knocks Nigel back out and he's like, okay, back to the original plan. Because Nigel tried to like grab at Daphne. Yeah. (laughs) And so then they start to enact the original plan, but then they're like, this is too tiring. Yeah. Let's just leave him. We're tired now. Let's just leave him on the floor. He's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I I really should have counted the number of pages this one scene lasts. It's so long. Because like this setup is good for being like an awkward meet cute kind of like weird situation for them to meet. Yeah. But like any tension built up by the situation of like them and this Nigel body situation (laughs) is diminished by how long it goes on for. I know, I like, know. you're ruining the momentum of the scene by, like, continuing to, like, just drag it out forever. Yeah. They go back to the ballroom and dance a bit and stuff and, like, get to know each other a little bit more. And they're clearly both attracted to each other and, you know, decide that it would be advantageous for them to pretend to date or in this time to form an attachment. Yes. Um... And, like, the reasoning is, which kind of makes sense for Daphne, like, she has been out for two seasons already. Nobody's been interested in her. If Simon pretends to be interested in her, other men will be like, oh, he's interested in her. I'm also interested now. Um, And Simon will get a little bit of relief from a lot of, like, women trying to, uh, like, introduce themselves to him constantly. The mamas. Yes. The aggressive mamas, it keeps (laughs) reminding us. Yeah. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense in the book because for Daphne, it's very much climbing the social ladder in terms of, like, finding more suitors. Uh, Let's talk about the show now. Yes. So we have a less friendly and harmless (laughs) Burbrook. Yeah. Instead, it is a Burbrook who feels entitled to Daphne's hand in marriage. Mm -hmm. He confronts her when she is like by herself away from the party. Yeah. In the garden. Yeah. And he's aggressive with her and she ends up, you know, knocking him out. And same thing. Simon is around. Mm -hmm. But they heighten the tension in terms of Daphne being like, oh, my God, I'm a, I'm by myself with two men by the lake. And if anyone catches me, like, yeah, my, my reputation. Yeah. Which is alluded to in the book, but it doesn't feel as like intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is where her and Simon kind of concoct this plan of like, well, if we return to the party together mm-hmm. at like acting like we formed an attachment and, you know, that's where they they do the fake dating. But like. 
it makes less sense in the show. I mean, I get like Antony had scared off a lot of her suitors. Yeah. But she's still gorgeous. She's still hot. She's still hot. And she's still like. She's got plenty of time. The diamond of the season. And like, it just doesn't feel as like advantageous to her. I agree. Or either of them Mm -hmm. for them to do the fake dating thing in the show, I think. But you got to love a fake dating, right? Fake dating never actually makes sense. Never. In any situation. But I do love it. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I haven't. Re- I haven't read or watched. Yeah, because we the um to all the boys. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's just like it's something that is so obvious that like these two are gonna end up together. And yeah. I mean, like I know most romantic comedies are like that anyway. Like you know, these two characters are gonna be together. But something about the fake dating just like feels like it's beating you over the head with it <laughs> mercilessly. And I'm like, I get it. I like it. <laughs> I don't like really dislike it, but yeah. it always just feels very contrived. Let's take a little bit of a break from Simon and Daphne and talk about another character that is exclusive to the show. Marina Thompson. Yes. So Marina is and 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 this ties into the Featheringtons. Yeah, she's a distant cousin of theirs. Yes, who is visiting. She's just like visiting for the season, right? Yeah. Um from her father and the Featherington household consists of both alive parents and their three daughters. Yeah. And then Marina showing up. Mhm. And Penelope, the youngest daughter, is a pretty prominent character. Yeah, she's good friends with Eloise, one of the Bridgerton daughters. And she and Marina also become close. And it's revealed pretty early on that Marina is pregnant. Yeah. Scandal. (laughs) And she does tell Penelope that she was in love with a boy named George. He is a soldier, uh, but they've been writing to each other and they plan to be together. So Marina is in a, you know, difficult position. Yeah. She's pregnant. She doesn't know what to do. She writes to uh, George, the, 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 the boyfriend, and she gets a letter that is like, I don't ever want to see you again. Like, that's yeah. not my child, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And and we quickly find out that um, this was forged by Mrs. Featherington. Yeah, because she wants Marina to just marry quickly so that they'll the scandal will not touch her or her family. Yeah. So now Marina is really in, in the shit and yeah. she has to find a man. She has to find a man's real quick to marry and... Ignore the fact that she will give birth to a healthy child in in six months. Yeah. And Mrs. Featherington, Lady Featherington, is pushing uh, old men onto Marina. People (laughs) that won't really care if, you know, maybe she doesn't have a legitimate child with them. Yeah. And poor Marina is in a really tough position until Colin Bridgerton catches her eye. Yes. Colin is definitely into her and she seems to be into him. Mm -hmm. And... This creates a solution to her problem, but also one that is complicated because she believes and she tells Mrs. Featherington, she's like, I think I can seduce Colin Bridgerton into marriage and also having sex before then. 
uh, in order to cover up this pregnancy. And mm-hmm. it'll be good for you, too, because the Bridgertons are a well-known and respected family. Yeah. That'll be a strong connection for you. Mm-hmm. So she kind of ropes Mrs. Featherington into this plot as well. Yeah, and it's really sad because Colin is a very, like, kind and open-hearted character. He's very different than he is in the book. In the book, he's kind of presented as this devil-may-care yeah. kind of a wild child he's of like, the family. He's, like, totally the opposite. Yeah, but, like, he really likes Marina, and there's this the scene where she tries to seduce him, and he won't even kiss her. Yeah. Because he's like, it's not proper. We should get married instead. I want to do things the right way. You're a lady. Which is just really sad. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> but, you know, I thought this subplot in the show, which I don't know if we mentioned, this is not yes, in any form. Yes, we mentioned. Okay, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. in the book. Um, this was, I think, the most compelling plot line in the show. yeah. I think because you see these characters in this in these tough predicaments where there's like no easy solution. Yeah. Like Marina's in this p- situation to no fault of her own, really. No. And you understand why she doesn't want to marry like a gross old man mm-hmm. just to like save face. You know yeah. what I mean? And like have some kind of future. And you do feel like she cares about Colin and that they could have a good marriage. Yeah. But like obviously the she's circumstances. Yeah, she's tricking and deceiving and manipulating him. Mm-hmm. It goes so far as to the two of them making plans to run away together to yeah. get married quickly. And Penelope, who is in love with Colin herself, yeah. keeps trying to stop Marina from doing this and being like, it isn't right. You can't do this to him. And even trying to warn Colin as well and being like, Marina was in love with someone else and no one really listens to her. And, you know, Penelope has her own motives because she is in love with Colin as well. Yeah. So like her perspective isn't quite as pure as she thinks, I think, as well. Yeah. It's just like a really interesting and compelling like love triangle. Yeah. In the story that doesn't feel overly forced or anything. Definitely. Getting back to Daphne and Simon a bit, there's this whole plot in the show where like Burbrook threatens to reveal that Daphne was in a garden with a man and then Daphne's like I have to marry him and then the mom is like I'm gonna find out dirt on him and then they find out dirt on him and then she doesn't have to marry him (laughs) it's like definitely I think this is the second episode or third I can't remember yeah but it's like it kind of encompasses like a full episode this arc with uh Burbrook yeah also I'm pretty sure Burbrook has a thing for getting his ass kicked. Oh, yeah. It seemed like he was into it. Like, you know, Daphne decked him. And then later he keeps talking shit on (laughs) Daphne to Simon. Yeah. Until Simon kicks the shit out of him. I know. And then he walks up to all the Bridgerton boys and continues to talk shit. I know. I'm like, you just want to get your ass beat. (laughs) (laughs) I think he does. He's definitely got a kink for it or something. And so once Burbrook is out of the way, Simon and Daphne are free to continue fake dating. They clearly like each other. They clearly have fun together. There's a couple different scenes in the show and in the book where they're together. In the book, they all go on this family boat trip together. Yeah. Which is sweet and fun. Um, There's like a family dinner. Uh, The show has a a sexy scene where uh, Simon tells Daphne how to masturbate. Yep. So that's interesting. Because Daphne's like, I don't know anything. (laughs) Hot, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) What's sexier than literally knowing nothing? Than blind ignorance. Yeah. (laughs) A blank slate of a human. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do like in the book, though, it dives into the fact that Simon didn't grow up with any kind of immediate family. Yeah. And him being close to the Bridgertons during this time and seeing their dynamic and their big kind of boisterous, loud family. Yeah. He's kind of endeared to it. Mm -hmm. And like him interacting with, with like the children, which he doesn't do usually, but he's pretty good with the kids. Yeah. I liked them. Explore, I like the author exploring that in these portions. Yeah, definitely. Because they had such different childhoods. Yeah. Yeah. In We get another plot exclusive to the show where a very special prince arrives on the scene. The prince! Prince Frederick, I think is his name. A golden retriever of a man. Uh, this is the Bingley of absolutely. this universe. Absolutely. <laughs> he is absolutely Bingley from Pride and Prejudice. Yes. He's, yes. Um, he is Prussian. Yes. And he is... In London for the season mm -hmm. as, like, the queen's kind of special guest. Yeah, it's her nephew, I think. Yeah, and he quickly takes a liking to Daphne, and she's kind of polite to him, but doesn't seem to be, like, overly interested, because you can tell at this point that she is forming feelings for Simon. Yeah, she masturbates to him in her <laughs> mind. I mean... <laughs> she watches him eat, like, something off a spoon, like, a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> She's got it bad. Yeah, but I mean, the prince is really sweet and is showing her attention. And Lady Danbury kind of points out to Simon like, hey, if you're not going to marry Daphne, the prince seems kind of interested in her. So either propose to Daphne yeah. or back off and let her marry a fucking prince. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I really love this subplot. And really, I really think this is missing from the book. I agree. Because like. This is the natural conclusion to their plan is yes. for her to attract a really suitable partner. And then to them to have like a conundrum out of that. Exactly. And so I appreciate the show like exploring this. Like it doesn't just feel like something to fill up the time. Like no. it feels like the natural conflict that would come from their fake dating. Definitely. The prince is so perfect, though. I know. How could you not choose him? I know. And, like, Simon breaks it off with Daphne, and so then Daphne's like, fine, I'll just marry the prince then. Just watch me do it. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing it right in front of you a lot. <laughs> and we're like, yes, please do yeah. that. So she kind of like encourages the prince. They have like a couple like little dates together. Yeah. Um, and he's so sweet. He talks about really wanting a big family. He's so open and I honest know. and direct about what he wants. Yeah, and he says too, like, I love England. I would be willing to settle here. I know you want to be close to your family. I wouldn't ask you to like move to Prussia with me, you know? And I'm like prince <laughs> i'm sure he knows about sex too yeah i'm sure simon isn't the only one that knows about sex daphne he's not the only one that can teach you daphne <laughs> but that's probably what daphne thinks she probably thinks like listen you're great but like i don't know if you know yeah about what i'm what i'm packing and and how how that makes me feel like simon knows uh yeah i like Simon just has the whole smoldering intensity thing going on. Yeah. And, like, obviously that is a staple of this genre. Mm -hmm. But also I think that only gets you so far. Yeah. And when you're presented with someone like the prince who is just, like... Oh, I would have picked the prince in a heartbeat. 10 out of 10 in every <laughs> column. It's kind of frustrating that you're, like... Come da on. Daphne, Daphne, please. Daphne, what are you doing? 
baby, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about another interesting romance in the show, which is Antony and the opera singer, Sienna. Yes. Uh, The woman that he was fucking behind the tree (laughs) in the first five minutes of the show. Yes, exactly. He really seems to like her. They seem to do it a lot, so that's good. Um, But, like, right in the beginning of the show, after his mom kind of calls him out for not showing up for the family and really being the head of the household, he cuts off Sienna. And he's been financially supporting her because she's his mistress. Yeah. And then he's like, get the fuck out to her. (laughs) Basically. After he told her that he would, like, financially provide for her. It's like... The very beginning of that episode, he's like, I'll always be here for you. <laughs> and you're like, okay, oh, no. I know how this episode's going to end. And yeah. he's like, I can't be there for you. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, he's still into her, though, and, like, misses her. And, like, throughout the season, we get just them kind of back and forth. Yeah. Where he's like, I want you back. And then her being like, no, you're right. Like, I need to be with someone else. You have obligations to your family. Like, we can't be together. Yeah. And I I do appreciate how it ended with Antony seemingly willing to go the whole way with her. Yes. He wants her to accompany him to a ball, to Mm -hmm. this public outing that would be very... I don't say scandalous, but like... It would make a statement. Yes. Yeah. And she seems to agree to it at first, but then when he goes to pick her up, and this is like in the last episode, yeah. she's like, she's with her other man, mm-hmm. and she's like, we, it's it's just not going to work. We're from different worlds. We want different things. Yeah. There's different expectations and obligations, and your family obligations aren't just going to go away. Yeah. And I think it was good to end it there with Antony that like... He was so shitty the whole time. Yeah. But like ending with him seeming like he was going to change. Yeah. And kind of having that, I don't want to say thrown back in his face because it was like, you understand why Sienna is denying him. Mm -hmm. But then you also see why that would. um, Set him up for a good place for season two. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of harden (laughs) him in his heart for like future romances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk too about um, some other Bridgerton family members. Uh, namely Benedict and Eloise. Yes. Benedict and the sexy painting parties. Benedict and the uh, menage a trois. (laughs) I loved this setup, and I'm just kind of disappointed they didn't, like, stick to it. Go further. Yeah. So he, Benedict is kind of an artist, Mm -hmm. and he meets this painter who they start, like, doing live drawing sessions together Mm -hmm. and then like being at the same orgies together basically (laughs) and he finds out the painter is gay Mm -hmm. or at least you know bisexual and in love with another man yeah and his wife is kind of free to fuck whoever she wants and she fucks benedict and she fucks benedict along with uh madame lacroix (laughs) so benedict has a threesome okay Uh uh-huh good for him uh yeah and we get a couple scenes with the painter kind of explaining how because i guess this is a, a racism free world but it's not a queer phobic yeah free world exactly so he still has to like hide his his feelings uh towards his true love mm-hmm. and is just kind of explaining the situation to benedict and i kind of wish that like they carried on with this like interesting threesome yeah thru- thruple dynamic with 
him and the wife. Yeah, or with Benedict possibly being gay. Or that, uh, yeah. I thought that they were going to go there. I thought so too. Yeah. When he was at the party and he saw the painter. I mean, even just him and the painter before the painter was like officially yeah. you know, revealed to be gay. I'm like, there's like a chemistry between them yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, out of eight children, one of them has to be gay, right? <laughs> at least by Statistically. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it really makes me wonder... Like, obviously, the show is more diverse and, like, pushing more boundaries than the series, the book series, yeah. probably ever does. Yeah. Like, um, like, Benedict's plotline mm-hmm. and kind of these, like, raging parties mm-hmm. and, like, you know, showing queer people in this world. And Eloise's character, who does not really want to be come out to society. Yeah. She wants to study. She doesn't want to get married. Mm-hmm. And I like these dynamics, but I'm wondering when we go into future seasons to talk about their romances and their stories, I'm like, are we just going to smooth them all out into being like into plain, boring, hetero relationships without actually like bringing up any of the things that these subplots are bringing up this season? Which we don't know because we haven't read the other books. And we also don't know how much they're going to base it off the books. Because they did feel free to divert from the books a lot in this first season. So it's just, yeah, it's just tough to say. And it's hard to know if they're setting us up to ultimately be disappointed by these characters and these plot lines. Yeah, because I, like, how many times can you just keep doing the same, like, uh, we have, like, a tense chemistry yeah. and like we shouldn't be together but we will be together mm-hmm. in like that kind of standard yeah setup which might not be all the stories i don't want to like predict what all the books are going to be about no but like i think it'll be a far cry from like the interesting subplots we've been getting this season yeah i mean i guess we'll find out if they keep making more seasons of the show which i'm sure they will they're pretty popular so I mean, yeah season two is about to come out mm-hmm. and season one was a huge success now, will they get through eight seasons? I don't know. That's a, that's 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 a tall bold. order. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It might peter out. I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, but Eloise is trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is. Yes, that's her kind of like besides being conflicted about coming out mm-hmm. this season. And once again, coming out is in. <laughs> Not out of the closet. No, no. Out into society. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, all these sibling storylines are in the show exclusively. There is nothing about the siblings in the books. No. Besides the fact that Daphne has three older brothers. <laughs> it is It is wild how much additional stuff there is in this show. I know. That- and it's not a short book either. No. <laughs> I'm like, what happens in this book? I know. Not a lot. It, it, <laughs> for its length, it feels like not a lot happens. Yeah. And I don't even mean that as like a negative. No, no. It didn't feel that way when you're reading it. It's just when you compare it to the show, you're like, oh, wow. Like, how did they just not... How did they fit so much in the show? And then also... <laughs> How did they fit nothing in the book? <laughs> in the book. <laughs> I mean, I think just that writing style is like, you know, in in a scene, so much is discussed like from characters' feelings and their interpretation of other characters. And you jump between characters' perspectives. Yeah. And then like moods and feelings and touches are all analyzed and described in detail. Mm-hmm. Like it's very 
dense in that way. Yeah. Where it's not necessarily plot. It's just like description of things. Yeah. And so by the end of it, you're like, that was 400 pages, but probably in another writer's hands could have been just like 200 pages. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, Let's check back in with Daphne and Simon. Uh, Daphne in the show is courting the prince, but she's still hot for Simon. And in the book, this is not really the dynamic at all. They're still fake dating, but Daphne is falling for Simon. And the two of them end up at this ball and Daphne kind of goes into the garden and Simon follows her. Mm-hmm. And it ends in this passionate scene where they can no longer hide their feelings for each other. And Simon kisses her. Yes. And it is passionate and sexy. Yeah. In the book, he tries to lick her nipple. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're in a garden, sir. Yeah. Like, is there a shrub behind you? Like, yeah. where? <laughs> and of course, when Antony, her brother, shows up, she's like, whoops. Mid nipple licking. <laughs> you like that? We- <laughs> Mid lick. Gross. <laughs> yeah, there's a part where Daphne in the book is like, oh my God, did my brother just see my boob? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> and I'm like, why would you say that? Stop thinking what, about just stop. that specifically. Yeah, it doesn't go as far in the show. No. Um, but, you know, Antony in both versions shows up. He gets in a physical altercation with Simon mm-hmm. and is demanding. He's like, you've besmirched my sister's honor. Yeah. You have to marry her now to, like, uh, save her, basically. Yeah. And uh, Simon, being a huge piece of shit, is like, I refuse. Yeah. And Antony's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, you're licking her nipple. <laughs> And you're not going to marry her? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Why Why are you like this? Who made you this way? <laughs> and Antony is like, I will literally shoot you if you don't marry her. And Simon's, and Simon's like, like, okay. Meh. <laughs> and Daphne's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's like, are you seriously, like, so opposed to marrying me that you would rather be shot? And Simon's like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Antony officially throws down the gauntlet yeah. and challenges him to a duel at mm-hmm. like sunup or whenever. Dawn. Dawn. So. <laughs> the duel is happening. The, 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 yeah. Um, Daphne finds out where it is and rides her horse to the location. Mm-hmm. In It's funny because like in the show, of course, she gets there just as like they're about to like shoot, shoot each other. And like she almost gets in the way of the bullets and it's like crazy. So dramatic. But, like, the the book, the alternative is just, like, she gets there in time before yeah. they've done anything. And it's, well, like. Well, and she does punch Simon in the face. She does punch Simon in the face, <laughs> which is great. I do love that. So then Simon has two black guys, one from Daphne and one from Antony. That, yeah. that, that part was fun. I, I liked that. That did feel like justice to a degree. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, listen, this is not worth your life. Like, just marry me. And she also reveals to him that. People know that she was seen in the garden with him. Can you clarify? Because this is one of those things I can't quite remember book to movie. Yeah. In the show, did someone actually talk to her about? She remembers the comment that Cressida, that girl that was trying to get with the prince, said to her Mm -hmm. when she was leaving the ball. She said, 
oh, did you catch a chill in the garden? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, and in the book, her brother Colin says, hey, a friend of mine mentioned to me that he saw you going into the garden. Yeah. I don't think he'll say anything, but if he saw it, other people saw it. Yeah, I I do think, though, it's interesting in the book because it's a little more... Solid. Well, it's a little more uncertain. Yeah. Because... Uh, Colin is like, my one friend saw you, but he won't talk to anyone. Yeah. But when Daphne confronts Simon, she makes it seem like more of a sure thing. Like, people saw us. Because, I mean, ultimately, she doesn't want Simon to get shot. Yeah. And the only way she can convince him to marry her is if he thinks he's saving her reputation. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like, I wish they had pushed this more in the show, even the idea that, like, she's kind of lying about this. To save his life. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But it is kind of justified. Yeah, and this is the moment where he tells her, I can't have children. I can't have children. children. And that's why I don't want to marry you. And Daphne says in the show, or I forget in the book or in the show, she says you're worth it. I think it's in the book. Yeah. Um, But she decides that she's willing to marry him anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're engaged. So they're engaged. And every, All, everyone's happy, everyone's right? Everyone's happy within reason. <laughs> <laughs> and Antony's like, all right, let's get a beer, man. I was yeah. just about to shoot you, but like, let's let's hit the town. But we're cool now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Simon and Daphne are preparing for the wedding in the book and the show. And there's like, it, it, it's kind of like awkward between them now. Yeah. They're kind of like getting used to the idea of being married and being together like for real, for real. now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In the show, the queen doesn't, denies them their special license to marry early because she's pissed about the prince. Yeah. So they have to appeal to the queen directly. And it's a touching scene where... Simon describes their relationship to the queen and why they're in love. And for Daphne, this is impactful because he hasn't really been talking to her this whole time. Yeah. And so she's felt distant from him. And this feels like he's telling the truth, but also she doesn't know if she can trust that he's being honest. Yeah. But he does say about them being friends and that he really cares about her and that that friendship has led to their love. And I love this, too, because I think it's in this episode that it was revealed that the queen, because, like, the king has only been alluded to in the show. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost an ongoing joke at this point that the queen, like, doesn't give a shit about him. Yeah. A servant will mention the king and she'll be like, eh, okay. Yeah. But, like, in this episode, you found out that, like, she does sincerely care about him, mm-hmm. but he's, like, clearly, I don't say crazy, but, like, insane. He's insane, and Yeah. They did love each other, but obviously that's kind of gone now. Yeah, there's a scene where he's lucid and insane and she has dinner with him. And you can see the love that they have for each other and the yeah. history there. But then he quickly goes into another like insanity fit. And you see what it does to his wife, Charlotte, and how why she's been avoiding him and yeah. why she can't be around him because he's violent. Um And he is just doesn't remember her. And it's just really painful for her. So I I did love that we got a little bit more of the queen in this part. For sure. And just how you understand why Simon's plea is connecting with her in this scene. Yes. I think it's all handled really well. Mm -hmm. We get to the wedding. They get married. And then, of course, we have the important part of apparently Regency times for the upper classes, which is when... It's revealed to you what sex is. If you're a woman, (laughs) yes. Where your mother comes and awkwardly half tells you vague metaphors 
about, about rain, about the autumn rain and spring flowers <laughs> and just uh, fucking lay back and 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 deal think with of it. England and think of England. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the sh- in the book, I could accept this. Yeah. This really bothered me in the show, though, because like I feel like, you know, Violet's character more. Yeah. At this point. And she feels like a very pragmatic and, and hands-on mom. And hands-on and smart woman. Mm-hmm. And her suddenly getting like clammed up and unable to discuss this topic with her daughter. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it. It just felt out of character for her. Definitely. Like it, I, I get why it was like necessary to the plot and like how it tied back to the book. But based on like what we've known about her from these subplots dealing with Anthony. Yeah. It just suddenly felt like not like the same person. Yeah. She's like really nervous and uncomfortable and can't even look at Daphne and just doesn't really tell her anything about sex at all. And so Daphne is like, cool. I'm very prepared for my wedding night. (laughs) I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just here to see what's what, I guess. (laughs) So, her and it's kind of a weird situation where Simon insists on them leaving the wedding and going straight to Cliveden, his mm-hmm. his home. But they're going to stop in an inn beforehand. So their wedding night will be at this kind of like crummy inn. Yeah. Which Daphne is not the most excited about. Yes, but they managed to come together and to have a sexy time. Um, This is where... The I Burn For You comes in. Yes. Uh, oft quoted, I think, from this book and uh, an important part in the show, too. But um, I don't know, Ian. For me, this is an uncomfortable sex scene to read. Yeah. I... It was and it wasn't. I guess, like, I was partly prepared. Like, I knew that she knew nothing about sex. Yeah. And that Simon would be teaching her the ways yeah and so i guess it wasn't anything that i wasn't like prepared for Mm -hmm. mentally but it's still just the whole setup of like this young girl who literally knows nothing about sex and the guy being like i'll show you the ways yeah and i mean it brings up you know the idea of consent right because like can daphne consent to sex if she doesn't know what sex is yeah you know and i i don't think it's really going that far in this situation, but I just don't like it. And like the whole scene is really awkward because like at first she thinks that he might not have a dick or that he (laughs) might not be able to work his dick because he's told her that he can't have children and she doesn't know what that means. And that's more specific to the book, I think. Yeah. That she's like, I didn't, because he seems to be avoiding having sex with her. And yeah. she's like, oh my God. Can I'm, you not? I'm so sorry, Simon. Like, I know you can't consummate the marriage. And yeah. like, he's like, what? <laughs> how dare you insult my dick? I'll show you how my dick works. And yeah, <laughs> basically that's how it how it plays how out. How it happens. Yeah. I just want to read like portions of it. Yeah. Um. So there's this part here where... um. Daphne's breath started coming faster and faster, each little gasp of air impossibly loud to her ears. Simon was so close, every inch of him covering her intimately. She'd imagined this night a thousand times since that moment in Regent's Park when he'd said he would marry her, but it had never occurred to her that the sheer weight of his body on hers would be so thrilling. He was large and hard and exquisitely muscled. There was no way she could escape his seductive onslaught, 
even if she'd wanted to. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then how strange it was to feel such titillating joy at being so powerless. He could do with her whatever he desired. And she wanted to let him. Yep. And I'm like, what a weird thought to think when you're about to have sex with someone. It's riding this gray area of like, I can't do anything to stop it, but also I don't want to do anything to stop it. Yeah. But like, it's thrilling for that reason. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I I don't like the vibe that it kind of sets there. And like, she says later, just, I wish that I wasn't so utterly ignorant. A low rumble of a laugh shook his chest. Stop that, she griped, swatting him on the shoulder. I'm not laughing at you, Simon insisted. You're certainly laughing, she muttered, and don't tell me you're laughing with me because that excuse never works. I was laughing, he said softly, lifting himself up on his elbows so he could look into her face, because I was thinking how very glad I am of your ignorance. He lowered his face down until his lips brushed brushed hers in a feather-like caress. I'm honored to be the only man to touch you thus. Um, and like, just kind of saying like, I'm glad that you're ignorant. I'm glad that I get to teach you. Yeah. And she's expressing how frustrating that is for her. Yeah. And instead he's like, oh, it's hot. Ha 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 Yeah. Like yeah. He, he laughs at her a lot for like not knowing anything about sex. And I'm like, no one t- tells her anything. Yeah. Like, it's that's, not her fault. No. Like her mom wouldn't even tell her on her wedding night. Like yeah. this isn't, it, it, it feels kind of mean and just like not... The the power dynamic, I don't like in that. Yeah, and it's just, it makes the thing, it makes the whole scene, like, not as sexy. Yeah, it's, it's condescending. Just, yeah, it's condescending. It feels like she has no power or choice in anything. Mm-hmm. And she's just, like, jelly in his hands for, like, every yeah. sex scene. she's trembling constantly. Constantly, like, <laughs> a fucking vibrating mattress in a motel. She's just constantly shaking. Yeah, you know, and the, the show is similar but we don't have these talking scenes no um instead instead it's just him being like all right let's do it and they're making out and they're undressing each other and there's firelight and candlelight and it's hot and they they do it so i have a gripe that i have to bring up right now (laughs) and that is that at least between simon and anthony the men are too cut and jacked in this series i know i'm like they're going to the club and drinking like, they, they have to have a little bit of a, a, a tum, like, right? <laughs> these are high society men that literally take their carriages everywhere. Yeah. And, like, ride horses and don't fucking do any manual labor. <laughs> and, like, they don't know what nutrition and exercises back no, then. No, no. Uh, like, the only person who should be, like, in any kind of physical shape is, like, a farmhand or, like... A servant. Yeah, or anyone who does, like, manual labor consistently. Yeah. Uh, it's just, like, I they give Simon, like, his boxing, uh, his bare-knuckle boxing yes. interest, <laughs> which I guess would keep you in shape, so, like, I guess yeah. that's... But, like, Antony has, like, no... No. ...excuse for being as, like, jacked as he is, and... No. It's one of those things where, like, there are some aspects of Bridgerton that feel like they're trying to be, like... They're trying too hard to be contemporary yeah. or like cool, mm-hmm. but feel kind of just like cringy or like. Yeah. Not every man has to have a six pack. No. Men can be skinny and like chubby <laughs> yeah. and like other things and still be. I mean, like Colin Firth is still like a sex icon. Yes. Coming out of the water in Pride and Prejudice. With his shirt on. With his shirt on. Yes. And just being in like 
fine shape. Yeah. Like, just generally, like, okay. Yeah, and we don't ever even see it. No. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) We, oh, do we see his butt? No, we don't see his butt. No, I'm thinking of Emma. Yeah, in in Emma. Yeah. (laughs) In Emma, you get some ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Daphne does get a lot on her honeymoon. So they have sex. They go back to Cliveden, which is the Duke's house in the countryside. And they begin their um, sexathon, right? We get the sex montage in the show, which is just them banging to Taylor Swift's wildest dreams set to like an orchestral (laughs) score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're having sex in the rain. They're having sex by a lake. They're having sex in the library. The servants are listening to them fuck. It's funny. Uh, so interestingly enough, the house that they were fucking in is like an actual historic house. Oh my God. And usually when you have sex scenes on a show or in a movie, it's like a closed set. Yeah. Meaning like only the most necessary people are present for the filming. Yeah. Like basically the director and camera operators, like catering and everyone else isn't around. Yeah. Except in this situation, they had to have like people whose job was the preservation (laughs) and like of the house maintenance of the house yeah to watch them and be like can you like not lean on the post on the post of that bed as much like not as much like yeah yeah or like can you not have your ass directly on the uh ladder of the library like back a little bit like oh they'd have people there to like oh my god yeah. protect the home <laughs> from the ass i'm sure <laughs> From, from bare asses. <laughs> I'm sure nothing is better for an actor trying to do a sex scene Ugh. than a historian being like, can you not touch that, please? <laughs> oh, my God. That's someone's sexual fantasy, I'm sure. Probably. <laughs> yeah, let's have sex in this old house, but we have to be really, really careful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. There's like a a tiny subplot with Daphne adjusting to her role as Duchess. But like the most important thing that happens here to interrupt their marital and sexual bliss is Daphne slowly figuring out why Simon keeps pulling out every time they have sex. Yeah. And uh, Comet in particular uh, really shed some light on it, which is one of the servants saying that uh, you need strong, healthy seed to have a baby. (laughs) And Daphne's like, (laughs) hmm, yes, the seed. She's putting the clues together, (laughs) the puzzle. She's like, she's got like one of those like dart boards with the yarn. I don't know why I said dart board. She has one of those like cork boards. Yes. 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 (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's so sad how this has to be like a uh, detective mystery that she has to like put together because she just sadly doesn't know anything about sex. Yeah. In the show, she doesn't quite know the truth yet, but she's beginning to suspect. Yeah. They have sex and she gets on top. And when they're fucking, she just kind of doesn't let him move her over so that he can be on top. So then when he orgasms, she doesn't move. So he has to kind of orgasm inside her. Yes. And this is like, she doesn't know for sure what's going on, but she kind of suspects. And so this is sort of like her testing Simon. Yeah. And this is when it comes out and he's like, 
I have made a vow to never have children and I'm not going to talk to you about it and I'm not going to explain myself to you at all. I'm just uh, not going to have sex with you ever again because now I can't trust you. Yeah. And she feels completely betrayed because she's like, you said you can't have children. But yeah. The truth is that you choose not to. Yeah. And you took advantage of my ignorance about sex. And he does give a line in the show about like, I thought you knew how children came. Yeah. To be, but it seems like he shouldn't have thought that. No. If. Like, given the time period, if this is accurate at all, that women are, like, as ignorant mm-hmm. as they are about, like, reproduction and sex. Like, yeah. he probably shouldn't have assumed anything. No. Um. So Daphne feels, like, really heartbroken by this and angered. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I got, I got that, that, that semen once. Yeah. Maybe I'll get pregnant. Yeah. Maybe I'll have a child. It happens very differently in the book. So in the book, she... Figures out this comment about the seed and actually confronts Simon about it. Mm -hmm. And the two of them have an argument. And she's like, you lied to me. Is this true? And then he's like, yes, it's true. I've made a vow that I will never have children. And it's this whole kind of explosive argument where, you know, it's the same beats, right? Like Daphne being like, you took advantage of my ignorance. You betrayed me. And then Simon being like, you knew what you were getting into and I'm not going to change. And this is like, I'm standing firm on this. Yeah. And he talks more about his dad directly in this scene. Yeah. About the vow he made to him about not continuing the Duke, the line of the the dukedom. Yes. Right. That sounds right. It sounds so dumb. (laughs) The dukedom. The dukedom. Yes. Um, The dukening. And yeah. And you find out that like this is all just for spite for his own dad. Yeah. And and Daphne's justifiably like you you won't have children to like spite your dad. Who's dead. Who is dead and has (laughs) been dead for a while now. Yeah. And is it. She she also has found out at this point that he had a stammer when yeah. he was younger. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of the pieces are falling together and a lot is coming out in this scene. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. And then she ends up sleeping in a different room. And there's this huge scene where um, he is trying to get her to move back into the room with him. And she says, no. What the hell do you mean? No. What the hell do you think I mean? She countered. Simon wasn't sure what shocked and angered him more, that she was defying him or that she was cursing aloud. No, she continued in a louder voice, in a louder voice, means no. You are my wife, he roared. You will sleep with me, in my bed. No. Daphne, I'm warning you. Her eyes narrowed to slits. You have chosen to withhold something from me. Well, I have chosen to withhold something from you. Me. He was speechless, utterly speechless. She, however, was not. She marched to the door and motioned rather rudely for him to go through it. Get out of my room. Simon started to shake with rage. I own this room, he growled. I own you. You own nothing but your father's title, she shot back. You don't even own yourself. A low roar filled his ears, the roar of red-hot fury. Simon staggered back a step, fearing that if he did not, he might actually do something to hurt her. So, um, skipping a little bit ahead... All of Simon's good intentions fled the room, and he charged forward, grabbing her by her upper arm. He knew his grip was too tight, but he was helpless against the searing rage that flooded his veins. And then later on in this scene, when they're fighting and arguing, um, she says, I think that you had better leave. He looked up, his eyes haunted. 
You're my wife. She said nothing. Legally, I own you. Daphne just stared at him as she said, that's true. He closed the space between them in a heartbeat, his hands finding her shoulders. I can make you want me, he whispered. I know. His voice dropped even lower, hoarse and urgent. And even if I couldn't, you're mine. You belong to me. I could force you to let me stay. Daphne felt about a hundred years old as she said, you would never do that. And he knew she was right. So all he did was wrench himself away from her and storm out of the room. Who boy. So, I mean, well, I mean, what's to say about that scene? Like, there's so much, right? Yeah. Like, him saying that he owns her, mm-hmm. the the rage and the, the feeling that he would hurt her, and then the scene where he actually is hurting her. Yep. And then the comment, like, I could force you to have sex with me um, if I wanted to. And then she being like, well, you won't. And I'm like, won't he? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be too certain about that. You have not known him that long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this feels so much of like the natural culmination of his character, because like Simon is a very aggressive and angry person. Yeah. And like. He weirdly jokes about killing people a lot. Yeah. Like in uh, the book specifically. In the book, yeah. He'll yeah. be like, oh, I'll have to just kill him. And she's like, Simon. And yeah. I'm like, this isn't a joke. Yeah. That's not a funny joke. No. Stop making it. Yeah. And like, there are scenes where she kind of like, they're arguing about something or they're discussing something and she kind of like steps back and, and seems like frightened of his anger. And like that scene is the most drastic example of this. Yeah. But it's just not great. And I don't love this about his character. And this scene especially is just like really awful in so many ways. Yeah. And I, I can't quite tell how I'm supposed to because I've never read one of these books. And like I can't quite tell if I'm supposed to think this is like an attractive quality. His like anger like she makes him just so enraged and impassioned and like he can't help but like he wants to both fuck her and throttle her at the same time and like it has vibes of that but also to another degree it also feels like it is understanding how bad he is in this moment yeah i just feel like we don't really deal with it later but that's true though yeah you don't quite get any reconciliation or resolution from it yeah and let's make things worse ian by talking about what else happens in the book so simon is pissed he leaves he gets drunk yeah he fights two sailors (laughs) and beats them up he comes home yeah and he once again like tries to force his way into daphne's room and she like lets him in because she knows he's just like out of his mind drunk yeah he can't even stand up yeah and she manages he he like refuses to go and she manages to get him in the bed Mm -hmm. take his shoes off and she realizes that even though he's asleep he is aroused and then begins to um satisfy that arousal yeah and he kind of becomes awake yeah but like he is still very drunk very drunk and so she begins to have sex with him and it is described later on that like she didn't plan this per se or mm. maybe she did she doesn't know yeah it, she she paints it in shades of ambiguity but she it sure seems planned she has sex with him and basically forces him to climax inside of her because yeah. she wants to get pregnant mm-hmm. and he won't when he is uh conscious yeah so 
she takes advantage of him while he's like blackout drunk. Yeah. So let's call this what it is, which is rape. Yep. Sexual assault. Um, he cannot consent. And in fact, he has told her explicitly that he does not want to have children. Whether she agrees with that decision or not, he has made his intentions clear. Yeah. So the fact that she is not respecting his wishes for having a child, like, that is so manipulative and wrong and terrible. And he's drunk and doesn't even know what's really happening. And she takes advantage of him. And like... Like you were saying, I feel like it is shown that this is a bad scene and he reacts really negatively when he realizes what she's done. But like they never have another conversation about this later to resolve what she did wrong and how they'll move forward and how they'll have healthy boundaries in the future. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like we had a discussion about this earlier. This kind of toxic behavior is explored in other stories that I really like. Yeah. Like Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. Like Gone Girl is a portrait of a really fucked up marriage. Yeah. But that's like the purpose of that story is to paint marriage in like a very questionable light. Yeah. This story, by its conclusion, does not seem to be making any of that like kind of a statement. No. So for all of this to happen and then just kind of be unresolved, like what brings them back together, like... To be fair, Simon does talk through a lot of his problems, and she does too. They do yeah. they do really discuss a lot at the end, which mm-hmm. I appreciate, but they don't really ever talk about what happened that night. Yeah. Or S- Simon's like really abusive behavior towards her. Yeah. And it's to such a degree that you're like, this isn't a fight that you can just kind of like you pretend know, didn't happen. Yeah, like this is hardcore. Yeah, and in this scene when he's so upset about this, he starts stuttering and he can't even be with her anymore because of the stuttering, so he leaves and just takes off and doesn't come back. And Daphne eventually decides to go to London to be near her family. She feels like her marriage is over. And Simon is just kind of like, "Well, write me if you get pregnant. I'm I'm gone." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, the show is different, though, because, you know, none of this happens in the show. It's just this kind of questionable sex scene where Daphne is testing Simon and then he reveals to her this vow. It feels like they are very broken in their relationship with each other and their trust with each other. And then they get some surprising news. And that news is that Colin and Marina on the brink of running away together to get married Whistledown publishes the news that Marina is pregnant. Yes. So now the public knows Colin is made to look like a fool. I mean, luckily it's before they got married or did anything stupid, but like the Bridgerton family is kind of having to, they have, they have a PR nightmare on their hands. (laughs) They have to, um, you know, backtrack and kind of like re. They have to um, put out um, some new content to rehabilitate (laughs) their image. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And so, when it's da- a job for a duchess. Yes. Daphne is like, I have the power now. Mm-hmm. She gets the whistle down paper and and quickly rushes home for this reason. In the show, Simon accompanies her back to London. Yeah. Because he's like, I want to see if you get pregnant. <laughs> I need to keep an eye on you. Yeah. Apparently. It's like anytime we go on a road trip. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want to see if you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just keeping tabs. Every time. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think this is more interesting for them to be together, but also be going through this separation time. 
Yeah. Because it's like they're separated, but they're still in physical proximity to each other. Whereas in the book, they were like emotionally separated and physically separated. Mm -hmm. So it's less interesting to have this stuff going on without the two of them together. Yeah. I I think the thing is like with Daphne and Simon, they just keep going in and out of phases of like being passionate and with each other and then being awkward and not talking. Yeah. And then being passionate with each other and then being awkward and not talking. I know. It did get a little tired. And I'm like, this is, we just keep going, swinging back and forth on this pendulum. And it yeah. gets a little, like, exhausting, I think. Yeah. And there's, like, I do kind of like in the show, though, this part where Daphne's kind of exploring what her life could be like. Yeah. If she and Simon don't reconcile, like, we have a scene of her... And uh, attending this, like, married ladies party <laughs> yeah. that Lady Danbury is throwing where, like, the, the women are drinking and playing cards and gambling. And it seems like a really fun time. But she meets a woman who lives separately from her husband and kind of they have this arrangement. And it's sort of a vision of, like, what Daphne's life could be like. Well, and this specifically makes me really think of uh, Jane Austen. Yeah. Because Jane Austen did explore this in a lot of her stories, this idea of like a very pragmatic and like... Business arrangement. In terms of marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. like... Uh, it's, I, I liked the show kind of touching on that idea. Yeah. Uh, we Similarly, I love, because with this like married ladies night party mm-hmm. this gets um contrasted with the men's like lounge gentlemen's club the gentlemen's or club called whites yeah which we've seen before but when we go back to it the men are just fucking boring and sitting around and like <laughs> swirling dr- brandy yes and <laughs> i just love the contrast of going between these two yes we and, do get a scene with anthony yes and simon where and you know this is i felt like as the show continued it really was paying off in a number of ways. Yeah. Because I really love in a show where you've seen characters go through different arcs and then them having conversations or scenes together where they'll talk about something that they both have a shared or not shared viewpoint of specifically, but like differing thoughts on the same thing. Yeah, they're going through their own problems on the same subject, but in different ways. Yeah, where... Antony and Simon are talking about, like, family mm-hmm. and responsibility. And Antony's responsible for, like, his, like, all of his siblings and kind of talking about that. And Simon is like, yeah, but, like, you don't, like, treat the women you're with well. And then yeah. Antony is like, well, you're not treating my sister well. Mm-hmm. And them kind of, like, discussing this dynamic of family and being, like, obligation the, and the patriarch of a family mm-hmm. and obligation. Uh, this turns into a fist fight <laughs> where... Antony suplexes uh, Simon through a solid wood table, (laughs) which was, I think, the most absurd point of this entire show. Just shatters beneath him. Yeah, it just, like, (laughs) splinters into balsa wood. (laughs) Meanwhile, Daphne wants to help Marina during this time after it's revealed that Marina is pregnant and she's shamed to society, right? And... She identifies with Marina because Marina says to her, like, I didn't know anything about the world or about sex. And like, I had no one to help me. Yeah. And Daphne is like, oh, my God, that could have been me. Exactly. Because I wasn't given the information. And so she's like, I want to help you find your soldier, your boyfriend. Let's reach out to him. We have to, like, force him to marry you. Like, it's not fair that he doesn't get 
to deal with the consequences of this relationship that you had. And so she does um, end up finding information on George, Marina's boyfriend. Yeah, she writes a letter, but Marina doesn't think he'll answer to it or even <laughs> get it because Simon didn't sign the letter. I, I'm like, what? I know. So <laughs> Marina's like, I know. And I don't know why this is her breaking point. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to make abortion tea. <laughs> Just grab some. Random herbs. Yes. Yeah. And 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 drink it down. I do love later on, much <laughs> later on, when the doctor reveals that she, in fact, still has the baby. He's yeah. like, what, you actually thought like a tea would like fix this? <laughs> <laughs> just calling out the absurdity of that idea. Yeah, I mean, I think if you had the right tea. If you, like, really knew what you were doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, we do find out and we get information. George's brother, Philip, shows up and reveals that George actually died in battle. And the reason George hadn't written to Marina was because he died. And there was, like, this half-written letter where he was expressing how happy he was that she was pregnant and how they could run away together. God. And just revealing that he really loved her and would have been there for her. It's so sad. Poor, poor Marina. I know. She has been through so much. Yeah. I, it, it was so sad. But also, what a great uh, fake out with, like, this guy showing up and you're like, oh, it's George, only yeah. to reveal, like, no, it's his brother because George is dead. Yeah, and at first, so Philip wants to marry her because he wants to honor his late brother's last wishes, which was to provide for Marina and their child. And at first she won't marry him because she thinks that she aborted the child. But once she realizes that the child is still alive, she does agree to marry him. And even though she doesn't know him or love him, there's kind of hope that, like, maybe they can make it work and also, you know, she'll be cared for and her child will be provided for and he'll have, you know... She'll be part of a family. Yeah. I was so fucking relieved <laughs> when she chose I to know. marry Philip. I'm like, please, Marina. It was Marina. so up and, and down with her. It was like, <laughs> just be be safe at least, please. Yeah. Like, at this point, I would tell you to marry, like, that weird 50-year-old man. I like, know. Just anyone, please. Just to have, like, a hot meal at the end of the day. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the conclusion of her storyline. And I really like this because, once again, like, Kind of that Jane Austen idea yeah. of kind of settling mm-hmm. for, you know, security. Res- for security and respectability and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'll be curious. I'm sure she'll come back in later seasons. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And see where she's at. Yes. Uh, where are we with the storyline? Oh, um, speaking of pregnancies, Daphne is not pregnant. Yeah. She is very hopeful. Her... Her courses are late. <laughs> That's the first time I had ever heard that expression for it from yeah. the book, her courses. <laughs> yeah, and um, but there's a scene at the where they go to the opera and she gets her period. And it, it's actually, we didn't mention this before, but Daphne, when she yeah. came back to England, or not to England, to London, was kind of pissed at her mom for not telling her about sex. I loved this. Yeah, and kind of like saying that like, you not being willing to tell me the truth, like, cost me a lot. Yeah. And I think this is so justified. And then at the end here when of this episode when Daphne, you know, gets her period and realizes she's not pregnant. This is when, like, her and her mom kind of reconcile, which feels very natural for their characters. Yeah. But I do love how long it went on, kind of for the whole episode with Daphne being upset at her mom. 
Well, and, and that's an example of, you know, we were talking about the book dealing with these heavy topics and it not feeling like it resolves them correctly. This is the opposite where like her mom not telling her about sex is so frustrating and you're yeah. like, oh my God. But it feels like it is adequately addressing it later on when her, when she confronts her mom over it. Yes. And you're like, okay. It feels like weight is being given to this subject. Yes. And I'm like, I'm glad we went through all this to acknowledge the seriousness of this situation. Definitely. In the book, she her period is late by a lot. So she sends Simon a letter that she is pregnant. And so he decides to come back to London to uh, meet up with her. Uh, The show also has, like, this subplot with Lord Featherington where he's, like, deeply in debt, so decides to try to buy off Simon's boxing friend, Will, to throw a boxing match so he can, like, place a large bet on it and get, like, all his money back. Yes. Unfortunately, (laughs) uh... He fell in with the wrong crowd. Yes, the men who uh, held up the bet or whatever took the bet knew he was full of shit and they kind of confront him in a threatening manner in like a brothel with a vial and you're like what's going on and then later on you find out oh lord featherington he's dead dead. yeah he died and all his money is gone yeah and so the featherington family is kind of in a very really precarious place at the end of this season marina is gone uh, their dad is dead and they have no money. So I'm very interested to see what will happen next season. And, and also someone is inheriting the estate. Yes. Which is kind of left like. It's a very Mr. Collins situation. Yes. And it's kind <laughs> of a cliffhanger for the end of the season about like next season, who's going to be inheriting yes. the estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was a kind of an interesting subplot. The, the show juggles a lot of characters. Yeah. And a lot of subplots. But like. Huge credit to it. It manages to juggle it all really well. The writing is very well interwoven, I'll say. Yeah. I feel like on a lot of shows, even movies sometimes, like a subplot or character will be brought up and you're like, oh, that's right. I forgot this was going on. We haven't seen them in a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Or like this hasn't been brought up in a while. But like I never really felt that way with this show, despite how many things were happening. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I just got to mention in the book, like when Simon comes back to be with Daphne, that like uh, they're on she's on a horse and he like chases her and then she falls off the horse. And he's like, (laughs) Daphne, you're pregnant. Why would you be on a horse? And she's like, oh, I'm not pregnant. I just like my period was like just super late. And this is like kind of their reconciliation, (laughs) her falling off a horse. (laughs) And I'm like, what's happening here? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like. Simon is kind of like showing that he actually would care if she was pregnant. Yeah. And she's upset because she isn't really pregnant. (laughs) And they're, you know, I will say, though, I really like in the book, Daphne drops a lot of truth bombs on Simon, like very hard. She's kind of saying like, Simon, like, even if you're doing this to spite your dad, you are still living your life based on. On what your dad want or didn't want. Yeah, you're still under his control. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you have to become your own man and just learn what you want and, like, fucking deal with it. Yeah. And I really like, because I, you know, I don't, she's somewhat 
kind of like that in the show, but she's much more meek and kind yeah. of like dancing around the subject. Well, and like the whole issue with his father and the stuttering and like his vow is less discussed in the show. Absolutely. Which is surprising because I would have expected a lot more to come out of it. In the show, Daphne kind of finds the letters that he wrote to his father. Yeah. And that's how she finds out about the stutter and then, you know, talks to Lady Danbury about it. But like Simon isn't as open with her and it feels like they don't discuss it as freely. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I think like the resolution and the conversations that they have in the book are deeper and better. Yeah, it feels like they're really hashing things out. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the show, it just feels like they're kind of like dancing around the topics and it is really stretching out this conflict for like too long. Too long. Yeah. And I really think there's more to Simon's arc that could have been delved into. Like, yes, he made this vow to his dad about how I'm never going to have children mm-hmm. uh, and like, fuck you. And like, <laughs> he he's so committed to it. But like, I think there's a deeper level to it. The show could have explored. Yeah. Like maybe Simon is actually terrified of being a dad because he never had a dad in his life yeah. and, or, you know, had the worst dad imaginable. And he's worried like, I don't know how to be a father. I don't, don't want to be like my father. Yeah, I don't know what a good father looks like. I'm mm-hmm. scared about this. Like, I think there was another more empathetic level that could have been delved into with his character. I agree. That could have extended the conflict longer mm-hmm. and made you care about Simon more. That's a really good point. Because I just feel like ultimately you're just tired of Simon's bullshit. <laughs> you are. S- especially in the show I by know. this point. It goes on so long. Yeah. They do reconcile in the show at the at the final ball. They're like dancing in the rain and, you know. Yeah. Daphne says that she loves him no matter what and wants to make it work. And this is kind of the way that they reconcile. And in both the book and the show, this uh, end of the arc is that they have sex and then Simon does not pull out. So that's growth, Ian. (laughs) Eight episodes (laughs) and an entire novel for Simon to learn not to pull out. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is better. Wow, (laughs) this is great. If I'd known this is what it felt like, I would have been doing this the whole time. (laughs) But while Simon is learning not to pull out and, and having the end of his arc, which... By the way, just the other thing that I think is frustrating about this whole thing yeah. is Daphne kind of has, like, no agency in the story at this point. No. And this was so apparent in the show because, like, she tells her mom at one point, like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? There's You're nothing- not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, you can't do anything. Like, it's all Simon and his yeah. shit. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can't. Ch- he has to change himself. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of done almost everything you can do. Yeah. So that was the other thing that I think kind of irked me about all of that. And she can dance in the rain. She can. <laughs> like a crazy person. She can fall off a horse, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> she can act so crazy in the rain that like Mrs. Danbury is, or Lady Danbury is like, the party's over. Yeah, let go home, everybody. We gotta get everyone out of here. <laughs> She's not doing well. Um, we also discover in the show the true identity identity of Lady Whistledown. Yeah, Eloise thinks it's Madame Delacroix, the dressmaker. Yep. And the queen is trying to expose Lady Whistledown, so Eloise warns the mysterious carriage showing up to the printing shop. And it's not Madame Delacroix. It is Penelope. Not that Eloise knows this. No, Eloise does not know who it is. Um, What do we think about this revelation? 
I I knew it was coming because you mentioned it to me because you watched Bridgerton when it came out yeah. a couple years ago mm-hmm. and, and just kind of because I had started but didn't finish and you kind of filled me in about stuff. Yeah. So I knew this twist was coming and maybe it's just knowing that it was going to happen. I like it. Yeah. I I think. I don't know if I buy it. No. Here's the thing. There's that scene earlier when Eloise and Penelope are talking about how they don't know what sex is. Yeah. And they're like, if we only knew what it was, we could avoid it. And I'm like, good point. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I don't feel like a person who doesn't know what sex is could write the Lady Whistledown columns. Mm. But like all the societal things aren't directly about sex. Yeah, but I just think it's more like the idea of it, right? Like Penelope seems very innocent in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then being like, oh, but she's worldly enough to write like this hot gossip about people. I don't know. It just felt kind of odd in tone for her character. Mm. I guess for me, I appreciate like it makes sense in terms of like her position in society. She's young and kind of a wallflower. So no one would like really suspect her. Yeah. She covers her tracks by like bashing her own family like Quite liberally in her own <laughs> column. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think all that's interesting. And actually, it gives a lot more weight to a scene earlier in the season when at one point she shows up to Eloise's uh, or to the Bridgerton house and crying to Eloise. And you just think it's about Marina. Yeah. And her pregnancy and seducing Colin and all that. But then immediately after the next day, the Whistledown paper comes out mm-hmm. revealing Marina's secret to everyone. Yeah. And I kind of think her being upset was because she didn't want to do that. Yeah. But was finally like forced to publicly like out her secret. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm interested to see where they'll take this in season two. Yeah. I know what you're saying about like she seems too innocent to be writing it but like honestly so much of the societal bullshit doesn't really directly deal with like the act of sex it's like oh these two were seen together like yeah. in the garden it's and just more the vibe of it i guess yeah i don't know if i care <laughs> okay i disagree <laughs> okay i will actively we, disagree we disagree please <laughs> let us know what you think about penelope being whistled down yeah let's uh talk about the epilogue in both the show and the book which is you know, Daphne and Simon welcoming a child into their life. In the show, it is their first child. Yeah. It's a boy. They decide to name him an A name appropriately. Yes. In the book, it is their fourth child. (laughs) In four years, Ian, how can you have four child and four child in four Four years (laughs) four child in four years no i would never want to live this life and i don't know if it's actually medically possible to have four children in four years i didn't realize it had only been four years i missed that mention not great uh well it's also annoying because like i get that you know it's significant in terms of it being a boy because the dukedom will be passed down yeah but really for the characters the act of having one child is the most important is what really matters yeah whether it was a boy or a girl so like i don't think this really mattered that it was like just do the first kid yeah exactly also i don't even think you have to show them having a kid because once again simon being willing to try yeah. and have a child. That's all that matters. That's what really matters. Yeah. And we're going to have other seasons, so we'll probably see them with kids anyway. Exactly. Yeah. If Simon ever returns. 
it's true that is yeah because that's the hot goss about next season the is, actor not the actor returning. is not coming back because simon is not a main player in the next season mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting okay ian which one is better I feel so there were definitely elements of the book that I enjoyed. Yeah. I thought it was f- surprisingly funny in certain parts. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought it delved into the characters in a more interesting way. Yeah. The main characters, I mean, the only characters basically of the book, yeah. which is Daphne and Simon. There are no other characters in that book. No. <laughs> and to be fair, Daphne's and Simon's plotline in the show is kind of the least interesting and the one I cared about the least. Yeah. It's the most kind of cliched, intense, romance, sexy kind of plotline. Back, back and forth, yeah. That, like, feels very traditional romance novel, but, like, isn't actually that engaging. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the book pulled it off more by delving more into the characters. That being said, though, the show is so much more expansive. yeah. So many interesting characters, their plot lines interwoven. I felt like by the end of the show, you saw so many characters and their interactions that were so interesting because, like, you've watched their arcs through the season. Yeah. Like, even at one point, Miranda is talking to Mrs. Marina. Feather. Sorry, Marina is talking to Mrs. Featherington about her husband who had just died. Yeah. And they did not have a good relationship. And Marina was like, how did you make it work for so long when you didn't love each other? Mm-hmm. And Featherington kind of, like, tells her about, like, there are good things in life still, and you look forward to those. And that's what kind of pushes Marina to accept the marriage offer. Mm -hmm. So, like, even a scene like that with Featherington, who is a pretty unlikable character. Yeah. Seeing them kind of bond or connect over this mutual thing. Like, the show had a lot of payoffs like that that I thought were really rewarding. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you and go with the show. Like, I even think, like, on my second watch, I liked it more than even the first time I watched it. I just think it's fun. It's engaging. It's interesting. Lots of really cool characters coming together. It just feels like a well-balanced show. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, it was just fun. I liked it. And... I it didn't have like the sexual assault slash like violent, <laughs> violent, like aggressive scene of the book, which I really didn't like. But I mean, the book is pretty good for what it is. I think I'd probably give it like a solid three stars, um, but definitely prefer the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will be very interested to see where these characters go. Yeah. How much the, they'll be willing to play with the main plot lines of like future books and and seasons yeah and because you know we talked about how colin is like the total opposite yeah in the show versus how he is in the book but at the end of this season he leaves after everything with marina yeah and i wonder when he comes back if he'll be more like the devil may care maybe kind of rake of a character that we know in this first book that could be possible so it might be interesting they might be kind of like arriving to certain conclusions in just different ways than the book does so it'll be very interesting to see all right let's do a lightning round let's do lightning okay so first up for lightning round i want to talk about a fun scene that's in the book and the movie which is daphne and anthony kind of having a moment together they both can't sleep and they end up deciding to get a glass of warm milk together they go down to the kitchen 
and none of them knows how to light a stove. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it's not as simple as turning on a burner. Like you actually have to like light the thing uh-huh. to heat up the milk. And they both very quickly decide that cold milk sounds much better than warm milk. <laughs> I love this part because it it was kind of like a rare moment between them. Yeah. And in the show especially, they've been at odds a lot recently. Mm-hmm. So to see them come together is nice. And to have this moment where you're... You're guessing that there would be lots of moments like this in a big family this way. Yeah. Especially just kind of like showing their, not stupidity, but shortcomings in a way. Yeah, yeah. And kind of laughing at them and the the two of them laughing at each other a little bit. Yeah. So there's a weird thing with a bee at the end of this season. (laughs) Yeah. Where I think there's one at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. And then the ending moments of the show kind of focus in on a like a bumblebee. Yeah. And then in the poster for season two, there is a bee prominently on a like a croquet mallet or something like that. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, what is with this bee? (laughs) It seems to be an allusion to the fact that in the book, Mr. Bridgerton, the father, died from an allergic reaction he had to a bee sting. And I'm like, why would they be like, ooh, get it? Remember how he died? Which, first of all, in the show is never explained. No, they never mention it. No, they never mention it. And then also, if that is the reason, why? That seems morbid. I know. Unless there's another reason that, like, wasn't... Tell us your B theories. Yeah, give me your B theory. Like, unless there's something I'm missing, like, that's yeah. what I've read is, like, why they are alluding to the bees. I don't like it. I, I hate it. <laughs> so next for lightning round, in the last episode of the show, they're like, oh, Francesca's back. And we're like, who? So literally, this one Bridgerton sister, <laughs> F, has been missing this whole season yep. and just arrives at the end. And we all have to be like, Oh, yeah, she was gone, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was just kind of weird. And and one of the an obvious like plot holes in the show, I really wonder why they made this choice if they just wanted one of them gone so they had less characters to deal with or if this actress couldn't film for the whole time or what? I mean, is it supposed to be a joke that you didn't know she was gone the whole I time? I don't know, Ian. I could not tell you. <laughs> um, last up for Lightning, we have to talk about the greatest man yes. on the show, Mr. Finch. Yes. A lovable... Uh, allergic. S- allergic man who is into one of the Featherington daughters. Yeah. And they bond over their mutual love of cheese. I know. And he just seems like such a wholesome, great guy, especially for her. I know. Like, they make such a, like beautiful couple i know and i'm like i don't want these like sexy beautiful people like i want these awkward individuals yes that's who i want a season of is like awkward people (laughs) that like just talk about cheese i know wonderful (laughs) and actually in the last episode i was so mad because when it starts raining at the ball and everyone leaves yeah and daphne is standing in the rain while the music plays mr finch Looks like he's going to go out in the rain with uh, what's her name to dance. And Lady Danbury (laughs) stops him. Yeah. And is like, everybody go home. Party's over. And I'm like, this could have been their moment. I'm like, let them dance in the rain. (laughs) Yeah. 
They deserve it. It was kind of a weird moment. I agree. Because I thought it was like, oh, everyone's going to go out in the rain and it's going to be kind of like sweet and funny. But then Danbury's like, the party's over. (laughs) Yes. I'm very interested to see what happens between the two of them in season two. I I hope they continue the subplot. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This concludes our lightning round. And this episode... It's been fun. I, I really loved uh, doing this series. Yeah. Getting to read a good old bodice ripper <laughs> uh, for the first time. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a wild time. Uh, it's been fun. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support us, you can on Patreon. There's always really cool stuff going on over there, including bonus episodes. And if you would like us to do an episode, the quickest and easiest way for us to do that is to become a patron. Yes. And let us know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us if you think we should do the following seasons of Bridgerton or not. We haven't committed to it yet. We haven't decided yet. But uh, let us know your thoughts if you'd like to hear more episodes on this series. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.